0: The following program is sponsored by Friends of Life Outreach International.
1: This ship had been a warm and welcome home to the crew of 27. It was their shelter, their safe passage. It was their protection. But when rough seas came up and sent this ship crashing into the shore, their protection was gone. In its place was this, a shipwreck. My life was about to become the same.
0: Next on Life Today. Author and speaker Sheila Walsh discusses our longing to be protected.
1: Hi, and welcome to Life Today. Welcome to Wednesdays in the Word. My name is Sheila Walsh, and I'm so glad you dropped by. There's a lot that I really want to share with you today, and I think one of our most primal needs is really the need to be protected. We wanna know that that we're safe. This world's getting a little crazier, as I'm sure you you would agree, and we wanna know, Lord, do you see where I am? Do you know what's happening in this world? Do you know what's happening in my life? One of the greatest lessons that King David learned long before he was king, was you remember when he as a little boy went up against Goliath? And Saul tried to put his armor on him and and David said, this doesn't fit me, dude, there's no way. David had learned long before he faced a Goliath, he'd learned who his protector was. So in the darkness, where nobody was watching him, David had learned the kind of lessons that I really pray that you and I can learn because King Saul may have had the king's crown. He may have had the king's armor. He did not have the king's heart. That rested in a young shepherd boy. Watch this. I remember the first time I met the man whom I'll call John. I had just finished leading worship on the main stage of Britain's largest Christian arts festival. It was a really unusually hot, sticky August day. As I was making my way across the vast field that housed the stage at one end and the concession stands at the other, I heard the noise of a car engine. As I watched, a red, flashy sports car pulled up beside me. The driver looked at me and said, can I talk to you for a minute? He got out of his car and extended his hand. I'm John, he said. I'm with one of the record companies. He mentioned a few of the artists he worked with and that I had a great voice. I could feel my face getting hot as I thanked him. Well, I ended up dating John for a few weeks. He was funny and he took me out to eat in restaurants I could never have afforded on my British Youth for Christ salary. I think part of the reason I wanted to be with him was because he was almost 14 years older than me. As a young girl, I felt uncovered, exposed, unprotected after my father's brain injury and subsequent suicide. I longed for that protection with all my heart. This was the perfect recipe for me to make a disastrous choice. I'm sitting inside all that remains of the wreck of the Peter Iredale, High seas and strong westerly winds drove the ship into this lonely beachhead on October the 25th, 1906. Until that fateful night, this ship had been a warm and welcome home to the crew of 27. It was their shelter, their safe passage. It was their protection. But when rough seas came up and said this ship crashing into the shore, their protection was gone. In its place was this, a shipwreck. My life was about to become the same. My two closest friends, Raymond and Nancy, were against John and I dating. Raymond felt he was far too old for me, and Nancy told me that he'd been divorced and that he had quite a reputation with women. This concerned me, so I assured them I talked to him about it. And when I did, he said yes, he'd made poor choices in the past, but he was a different person now. I was grateful for his honesty, and sure that once my friends really got to know him, they changed their minds. Well, weeks turned into months, and one evening, John took me to a little restaurant in Wales. He got down on one knee, pulled out a ring, and asked me to marry him. When I told my friend Nancy, tears ran down her cheeks, and she begged me not to marry him. Others told me they were praying that I would reconsider, There was absolutely no one in my life who rejoiced with me. As I think back on this now, I wonder why I closed myself to their concern. A healthy person would at least have pushed back a bit and taken their time to be absolutely sure. But the relentless onslaught from my friends had the opposite effect. I felt that everyone just, they just didn't understand him. Yes, he'd made some bad choices, but he was different now. I honestly believe if there had been absolutely no opposition from my friends, I don't think we would ever have gotten married. I liked him, but it was no great romance. Yet in my heart, I determined I would stand up for him no matter what. This time, I would not abandon the one who had stepped heroically into the role of my protector. Even as my friends warned me of the potential storms that we're building just off in the distance. The reason that I've always been drawn to the story of King David is that even though he seriously messed up, Many times, he had an out loud, honest, vibrant relationship with God. Even when David tended sheep by himself, he was clearly never alone. He knew who his protector was, and he wasn't careful in his ongoing dialogue with God. Some of his Psalms would never have made it into our 21st century church libraries. But think about it, in one Psalm, David asks God to stop striking him because he's exhausted by the blows from God's hand. He asks God to leave him alone so he can smile again. In another Psalm, he asks how long God will look the other way and forget about him. Yeah, this is the man who is twice called a man after God's own heart. There's something about David's honesty that we need to press into, to dig deep, to find. Honestly, I'm hungry to be that kind of real woman. I've recently made a habit of reading David's Psalms out loud, and one thing has become crystal clear to me. David never hid from God. He knew in the depths of his being that the only one he could run to for protection was the Lord. During long, cold nights watching the sheep or moving them on to fresh pasture over the fields where Ruth once gathered fallen grain, David had stayed in constant communication with the Lord. His love for God poured out of his heart. He was utterly convinced the Unseen One was the only one worth pursuing. He was the only one whose protection mattered. Because David knew of God's constant care and presence, he could and would face giants. Long before he confronted Goliath, he became a giant slayer. There's a lot we can glean from this chapter of David's life. He faithfully pursued God when no one watched. He showed up with courage and confidence to defend the helpless even when they were only sheep. We may long for a father's protection, but young David learned that when everyone else failed him, God would always protect him. In the same way, when our longing is directed toward God, we'll never be left empty and alone. That conviction took David from the sheepfold to a battlefield no other man was brave enough to engage. Now, before you're tempted to say, well, David was a mighty man who would prove himself to be a great leader, let me remind you of the scene from his early life that we discussed earlier. When Samuel examined Jesse's sons, David's father didn't even summon him. Even Samuel instinctively thought Eliab, the strong and tall eldest son, would be God's choice for king. But when the giant Goliath threatened the Israelites that same Eliab was cowering along with the rest of Saul's army. David was the only one who understood that no matter how big the giant you face right now, God is bigger. He is the protecting one. So let's back up a little and set the scene. Israel's army is in a dangerous situation. The Philistines were streaming into the country through the Valley of Elah. if they gained any more ground, they would threaten Bethlehem, Hebron, and Saul's capital city, Gibeah. The Valley of Elah was a huge canyon, almost a mile wide. On either side, the mountain sloped up for about half a mile. So the Philistine army gathered on one side of the canyon with Israel's army facing them on the other. Every morning and evening for 40 days, the Philistine champion Goliath the Rocky of his day, issued his defiant challenge. But instead of the two armies engaging in war, causing massive loss of life, he suggested a representative to fight only him. I mean, what he suggested was hardly a fair fight. Traditionally, we read that Goliath was six cubits and a span. Now a cubit is about 18 inches and a span is about nine. So that would put Goliath at nine feet, nine inches. That's the Goliath that we encounter in Sunday school and Bible storybooks. But interestingly enough, the oldest Hebrew manuscript ever found, it's a fragment from the Dead Sea Scrolls, puts Goliath at six feet, nine inches. Now you might be wondering where I'm going with all of this. After all, it clearly doesn't really matter how tall Goliath was. I mean, either way, he's a very big guy and mean. But here's the point. If indeed he was six foot nine, He would have been about the same height as King Saul, who was known to be a good head and shoulders above other men. It would have been more of a fair fight if those two had squared off one tall champion against another. But while Saul might have had a champion's height, he did not have a champion's heart. David was too young to fight in the army, but his father Jesse asked him one day to take food to his brothers. So David asked another shepherd to keep an eye on his sheep while he ran this errand for his dad. He would have been about the age of a junior in high school as he left his house in Bethlehem and made his way up to the army's camp. As David crested the final rise, he saw the army spread out like locusts across the hillside and just then, He heard Goliath shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. We read that the soldiers were terrified and headed back to their tents. But David? David was enraged. He couldn't believe that Goliath would dare to insult the army of his God. Now, this was the 41st day that the Israelites heard this mocking challenge. Yet once more, they ran and they hid. But this was the first time David heard Goliath's taunts. He knew God was his protector and that kind of faith reduced Goliath down to size. So David stood his ground. Now you might be tempted to think that David's brothers were proud of their little brother. Unfortunately, that was not the case. His family had been operating by a set of unwritten rules based on fear. When David decided to break that pattern, he ended up rocking the boat for everyone. Well, you know how it is, people like their comfort zone, the way things have always been. They don't take kindly to upstarts. And to his brothers, David was an upstart. Eliab remembered the day he had been presented to Samuel only to be passed over for his puny younger brother. He remembered Samuel pouring anointing oil over David's head when surely he, Eliab, should have been the chosen one. We can't be surprised if we're likewise attacked when we determine not to live in fear anymore, but to confront every Goliath in our lives. Fear didn't stop David, and we mustn't let it stop us. When Saul heard that someone had asked to face Goliath, he wanted to see him. I'm sure he hoped it would be someone who would look burly and muscular when he saw David. He told him not to be ridiculous. Well, that's when David produced his spiritual resume. He told Saul the same God who'd rescued him from the lion and the bear would rescue him from this Philistine. Well, Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. That Last line makes me smile. It has that bless your heart tone to it. I'm sure Saul thought that David had about 10 minutes left to live. To give him even the semblance of a fighting chance, Saul offered David his armor fit for a tall fighting king. David couldn't even walk in it. Which brings us to another lesson. Never try on someone else's armor. It won't fit. Well, David knew better. He took the armor off, picked up five stones from the river, and put them in his shepherd's bag. With sling in hand, he set out to face Goliath. I mean, can you picture it? Not only was Goliath extremely tall by any assessment, he also, he was very well dressed for battle. His coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. The shaft of his spear alone was thick and tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. When Goliath saw David approach him, he was furious. It looked like the Israelites were trying to make a fool of him by sending out their mascot. It's interesting how the enemy's guard goes down when we don't look much like soldiers. But let me tell you girls, God is raising up for himself a band of women who are tired of listening to the belly aching of the Goliaths in our lives. He's raising up a band of women who like David, we know God is our protector. Well, David just ignored the insults that Goliath threw at him. He told the giant that on this day, the Lord himself would overcome him. I love that. David makes it clear that he has no thought of conquering Goliath. That's God's job. He, David, just gets to kill him and chop off his head. This is a key principle for all potential giant slayers. The battle is the Lord's. So David put one stone into his sling and raised it above his head. For a moment air was filled with the swishing of leather. As it gained speed, David released the stone. It flew directly to its target, right in the center of Goliath's forehead. The giant fell face down, dead, before the shepherd boy. Well, with their bully gone, the Philistines retreated with the Israelites in hot pursuit. A lot of blood was spilled that day, but none of it was Israelite blood. David made his way to Saul's tent, still holding the severed head of Goliath. Saul said, tell me about your father, young man. Hmm, A lot of life altering stories start that way. The truth is our father in heaven is in the business of protecting us I had such an amazing time um, filming these pieces. You know, there's times when you do something and and you know know it's it's good, you know the Lord's with you, and there's other times when there's just a sense of God's presence. I felt like God had me dive into this study, honestly as much for myself. But we would love to be able to to share this with you because we can't show you everything during our 30-minute show. But one of the things that I've learned is just as God protects us and watches over us, We have a calling. We have a mandate as sons and daughters of the King of Kings to offer that same love and that same protection to so many in our world who are very, very vulnerable. One of the countries that we are passionately committed to is Cambodia. There is so much need there. Um, so many children who go to sleep at night having had a horrible choice that their moms had to offer to them. Would you like a glass of water or a cup of water that is filthy? And I don't know whether how you're going to wake up in the morning or do you go to bed with nothing at all? It's quite a struggle for any family. I want you to, to take a look at this.
2: nên trong at bai ban la khlai con chư na ta chư to <laughs> 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 I ໃນໄລນະກໍໄດ້ກໍຫນົວອໍແມ່ນໄມອົນາຝັງບານໃສ່ບ້ອງຝົນກໍອັດໄດ້ໃຫ້ຮວຍຫາຍຕະບານລຸຍກູນຍໍາງົວກູນຍໍາງົວໃດ 27
1: years old and she's already seen such heartache I remember going down to the water hole with a mom and her two children. And I asked her through the translator, do you you boil the water? What do you do with the water when you get back to where you live? And she said, well, I just sit it there and I wait for all the dirt to go to the bottom. Because what she thought was, if the dirt goes to the bottom, what's on top's gotta be okay. But of course it's not. We know it's not. The disease is in the water. It just breaks my heart. And when we live in a land with such excess, I mean, think of it, half of us are on diets. And then there's these mums around the world who all they're asking for is clean water. And here's the deal, guys, because of life today, because of our international partnerships around the world, we can change the world for that mom. And it's so easy. Do you know that if we if you're able to give forty eight dollars, that will actually give clean water for 10 children. If you can give. $144. A lot of us can do that. That will give clean water for 30 children. Some of the villages we've been in, they they really need to drill a well. You know, we need a well in that village because here's the deal. If we drill a a well, one of the reasons we call it water for life is that well lasts for 70 years. We don't even need electricity. You can hand crank the well. It'll last for 70 years. That only costs $4,800. When we think of, I mean, even just look around your house, all the stuff that we have that we don't need. Some of these moms said to me, when you get home, will you ask the people in your program to pray for us? And I said, yes, I will. Of course I will, but I'm going to ask them to do more. I can't imagine when Christian, my son, was a little boy. If I'd had to say to him, listen, I'm sorry, darling, you know, here's all I've got, and pray that it didn't make him sick. Now this is our last week. So please, will you stand with us? Such a little amount from us changes the world. When I look at that woman breaking her heart, wondering, will my little girl survive? Let's say we are coming in the name of the risen Jesus Christ to make sure you never have to worry about your daughter. Please go to your phones. Please go online, lifetoday.org, $48, 10 children, $144, 30 children, or perhaps you and your Bible study group could do a whole well. Wouldn't that be awesome? $4,800 and you will drill a well in that village and those children will never, ever have to drink dirty water again. Would you do it? Would you do it right now? Would you do it in Jesus' name?
0: Every day, children are forced to make a dreadful choice. Drink polluted water filled with deadly disease or die from thirst. The good news is there is a solution. Mission Water for Life is one of the most proven demonstrations of God's love today. Suffering can end because clean water changes everything. With your gift today, you can help drill 500 water wells in remote villages in over 15 different nations. Your gift of $24 will help provide clean water for five people. A gift of $48 will help provide for 10 and $144 will help provide fresh water for 30 people for a lifetime. Additionally, just over $378,000 is needed to replace an old and failing drilling rig in Africa. Please consider an additional gift of $100 or more to get a desperately needed new rig in place as soon as possible. With your gift, we'll send you The Stream, a powerful new book by James Robinson that charts a clear path for your personal revival and a spiritual revolution. With your gift of $100 or more, please request The Promises of God coffee mugs. Finally, please consider a gift of $1,200 to help provide water for 250 people, or a gift of $4,800 to help sponsor a complete well, and you may request Our Majesty Bronze Sculpture. This is the last week. Please call, write, or make your gift online today.
3: Let me show you a water source that these kids are are drinking from, and it's, uh... It's really, literally, with no exaggeration, contaminated water. And they let this bucket down and they get the water. But it's not sealed and and controlled and capped.
2: They're making do with what they have,
3: but that's not good enough. It's not going to help them to be
2: healthy. You know, they've got this dirty, filthy, contaminated water to work with. They have to drink it to even survive a day. And I know that there couldn't be a greater joy from the parents of these children, James, than to be able to watch their children grow up. Well, they won't be able to do that if they don't have some fresh water because after a while, the disease is gonna kill them.
3: Well, and we're the answer to that problem, all of us working together, each person doing what they can because we know the need is very real. We want you to see it up close and personal. But the thing we really want you to hear and know, you're really the answer. You're the the way to provide hope and help to people who deserve it. And drilling freshwater wells, that's love indeed. Help us do it. Dial that telephone number and make the very best gift you can. Please do it and do it now. Please make the gift or you can go on lifetoday.org and make that gift online.
1: Thank you, thank you so much. Remember, this is our last week, and with any gift, we will send you this DVD series of The Longing in Me. And one of the other great needs I saw in one of the villages, I said to our people, why is there no well here? And they said, we can't. We have to get through so much heavy soil. We need a new drilling rig. Now, that's expensive, but some of you have been blessed by God, and some of you love to give. So go to your phone, call us. We love you. See you next time on Wednesdays in the Word.
0: Author Bob Bodine shares his practice of setting up two chairs.
1: What if God's been calling us to a
3: conversation?
0: Life Today is made possible by the supporters of Life Outreach International. Your gift will be used exclusively for the exempt purposes of life. The ministry features specific outreaches as examples of the programs it supports and conducts. Gifts are considered to be without restriction as to use unless explicitly stipulated by the donor. The ministry is a member of the ECFA.